Hello and welcome back to the Holtcast. It's been a pretty eventful international break, but we're back with Aston Villa in the Premier League. They recently beat Brighton by two goals to one. I'm James Rushton, joined again by Cole Petham and Danny Raza. Danny, how are you getting on, mate? I'm doing well, mate. I'm doing very, very well. Uh, I am obviously very happy with the performance of Villa over the weekend. Really, really missed the podcast and really missed football. And I'm just glad that we're back from that international break. How's our favourite Canadian getting on after that uh, pretty intense preview midweek? I'm buzzing because we showed people what's up because a lot of people did not like that preview in the sense of his opinion. I hope they actually enjoyed the preview. Please follow us. It's appreciated. Um, I'm doing very well, guys. I missed you guys. It's kind of like we don't talk for two weeks, basically, when it's, uh, well, we uh, message each other aside from the podcast, but it gets a little lonely and yeah, I missed you guys. It's been an extra long time for me because I wasn't on the, the last one. I, I enjoyed it. It was very good, but it was just missing a certain something. And I think that certain something was uh, myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a long time since it was, since James was on the show, actually. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the first thing we have to speak about today, uh, unfortunately uh, for Tyron Mings, was the uh, the racist incident or incidents that occurred during his England debut, a special occasion for him. And of course, he shone through in the end. But uh, in, in what was meant to be a really good moment for him, it was uh, probably the worst case of uh, racist abuse involving a, a Villa player for a very long time. It was audible dehumanising chants from a, a large section of the Bulgarian support. Shameful, really. Um, but Danny, I think, uh, you know, for your job at the uh, BBC, mm. you probably got a lot of exposure to this, uh, the media coverage of uh, this event. Uh, what was your take? I mean, there's only really one take you can kind of have about the event, but how how did it go down in your mind? Uh, yeah, it was really, really, really interesting um, because I don't think I've ever seen something like that unfold on the pitch, certainly expecting, uh, so, certainly, sorry, involving English players before. Uh, and I just remember thinking the whole time, something is, is going to happen here. Something's actually going to kick off. And I did for a moment of time think that, so basically, you know, what, what happened was Tyrone Mings, Raheem Sterling, I can't remember who else was playing, but every time uh, and one of the black players got the ball, there was an audible uh, amount of booing from within the Bulgarian ranks. Uh, and, it, and it wasn't all of the Bulgarian fans. There was a certain section of them who were obviously uh, screaming racial, racial abuse uh, at, at our players. Uh, but yeah, I genuinely thought for a moment of time, Roman in time, that, uh, that that England were going to walk off. And, and, and rightfully so, there was a lot of media coverage of, uh, from it. Uh, there was a lot of media coverage of it afterwards. Uh, and actually, uh, to some degree, the way that the English players reacted, the way that Tyrone Mings reacted, uh, certainly set off a, a big chain of events because it, it led to a major shakeup in the Bulgarian FA. Cole, I don't know what your perspective in terms of you know international football is because you're not you don't follow the free lines. You're not an England fan. You you follow the Canadian men's national team, I, I assume. Um, but the international take, the international Villa fan take, is what I want from you. Uh, I guess it must have hurt to see. You know, this happened to Tyrone. Oh, absolutely. Um, surprisingly, that actually got brought up over here in a lot of news outlets. And they don't label it maybe as like England versus Bulgaria, but more as like a kind of racial um, issue, I guess, on like a global news circuit here. But it did come up. Uh, they were speaking about it. Um, from a Villa fan perspective, it's shocking. It's just... I'm not shocked it still happens because there's so many different parts of the world that are so still so so far behind on the times and are still stuck really in like the 19 I don't know 40s even before that in terms of mentality um like when do things change and fair enough for the rest of the England team sticking up for them and even um speaking to each other and contemplate even going out for the second half because things like that I, I can't believe it still happens, but at the same time, you're not really surprised. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up about that as well, did you guys see the, that uh, the uh, the news reporter there, whoever it was, the journalist after, the Bulgarian ones to Southgate calling him a liar and saying how the Bulgarian end was nice or yeah. something and cozy or something? I can't remember what he said, but yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was there was a lot of denial going on I think and I think that even comes back to England I think we assume that Bulgaria is the only racist country in the world and well, the most, only hateful country in the world and I think that's a really but, that's a terrible assumption to make because you know yesterday we saw a game in England get called off because of racist abuse you know in Harringay Borough versus um, 
Yeovil Town that was called off because of uh, alleged racial abuse and then you have you know leaked comments from the Chelsea supporters just a uh, co-chairman saying he wouldn't support any LGBT rights within that group and then you have a hateful Villa fan an idiotic Villa fan um, assuming because we beat Brighton that it's a condemnation of LGBT rights, which is just, you know, this, these hateful issues aren't just contained to one corner of the world. And we have to, we have to look out for that, Danny. Yeah, absolutely. Like we have to, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to remember that the Bulgarian FA, they condemned it, didn't they? they that, that was their, that was their stance on the, on the whole matter. And, you know, there was, there was a, a large chunk of Bulgarian supporters there who you could, who you could see were, were very upset with the way that that group of people were, were reacting. Um, and, and, and as you say, Look, I mean, it happened over the weekend as well in England. And you know what? If if Tyrone Mings, if some of the other English players hadn't spoke up earlier this week, we might not have seen that happen. And I think now what we're going to see as a result of the way that this has been handled by the England players, fair play to them, and the way that um, Harringay Borough has well reacted in, over the weekend, I think what you're going to see is uh, a lot more players and a lot more teams just aren't going to take it. They're just not going to stand for it. And I think... Um, what you've got to hope is that in other parts of the world, uh, players' teammates support them in, in those kinds of decisions as well. But certainly now, uh, it's good to see that players are saying, no, we're, we're not, we're not going to take it anymore. Yeah, I think we can all be very proud of how this English team acted. And it's so odd to see, you know, this young, diverse team and its support, which can often be rooted in nationalism. This this team kind of almost seemingly lead the way. I think I'm certainly really proud of Tyrone Mings and I'm really proud of the actions of this England team because when they went in that half time and there's stories on the Athletic, there's plenty of stories elsewhere about how they acted at half time. And I was really upset because this is a an England team full of people from all over the UK with backgrounds that stem across, you know, rooted all across the world. And the way, the way they wanted to act was we, we want to crush this team in front of these fans. And they almost, you know, they certainly did on the scoreline. And on another day, they could have, probably could have put 10 past them. So I don't know how many goals stop Nazi salutes and dehumanising chanting, but England was certainly there to put on a show and a bravo to them. It's just a shame that back in this country, it seems to have emboldened a certain set of fans. So hopefully we can all act, you know, rationally ourselves and listen listen to others who aren't like us and maybe make a world that's better down the line. But certainly in the, the short term, it doesn't look that way. But guys, let's talk football. Aston Villa beat Brighton on the weekend. It was a uh, it was a very mixed bag of an event. A lot went on. There was red cards, VAR controversy, disallowed goals. Um, Jack Grealish came to show what he was made of. Danny, what's your overall take on this match before we dig into the uh, the nitty gritty? My overall take of, of Brighton? Yes. Uh, I thought that we played incredibly well sort of over the course of 90 minutes. But at first, I was thinking, hang on a second. Uh, we're, we're kind of allowing Brighton to play a lot here. But by the end of it, I think it's that international break lag, isn't it? It's that international break lag that, that we basically, uh, we, we chipped away out for the, for the full 90 minutes. And yet again, <laughs> we had to do it against 10 men. Uh, and I was slightly worried for, for a large part of that game that, that we were going to go back to our... Um, our sticking point of, of not being able to beat teams with 10 men. When when Aaron Moy was sent off, did you think, hang on here, we, we, we're going to lose this match now? Or were you emboldened by the fact that Brighton had lost a key player? Um, I was more in the perspective of, oh my God, we have our millionth like advantage of the year so far. Because it seems like <laughs> every game we go have that man advantage and the opposing team is down to 10 men virtually. Um, it, it was encouraging, but then again... It, at what point, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, because obviously we everyone knows the result. It was one of those things that is this going to be the time where essentially we take advantage of this finally and show what we can do and win basically the games that we need to win. I really wanted us to win. I had I had a massive sort of want for us to win, and it was for no other than no other reason than than basically pettiness. Uh, I, it was because I heard somebody earlier this week say that, that Dunk was better than Mings hmm. and that Grealish, but they didn't rate Jack Grealish. And so I just thought, you know what? I want us to pick up the points here. It's a bit selfish and probably a bit petty, but that was my main sort of uh, take before the game started. 
<laughs> and you certainly must have been pleased, as were we all, after the, the win. 2-1, last gasp goal from Matt Target wins the game. But let's go chronological. We've got to speak about the events and the first big event. If you ignore the fact that Brighton were allowed a shot within like nine seconds of the match after Maupai broke free, <laughs> Adam Webster scores a goal. It's a free header. Tyrone Mings has to deal with two men who were at the back post. It looks like Villa were caught out by almost the fake out because I think um, whoever was taking the free kick ran. They pretended to take it. They stutter-stepped and the line moved and then it was all disjointed. Two men attack the uh, back post. One of them gets the ball. Tyra Mings can't deal with the entire situation. It's a free header for Adam Webster. He's a big man. Puts it straight past Tom Heaton. It's a, as good as a free chance hit on goal as Villa were going to give Cole. Yeah, and I think the argument for a lot of people that they're going to stick with is the foul right before that that caused the free kick. Like I'm sure I'm sure you guys agree that's not a foul and that's definitely not a yellow card. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm total, so, in total agreement. It's not a it's foul. It's ridiculous. But, like, but also from 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 a perspective of a Brighton fan, I mean, you can see it getting given. Like, there's not an awful lot of contact at all. But I don't even think he touches I mean, them. I think he just hit the ball. Okay, but you only you only ever talk, you only talk about that because they scored, right? Like, if if that was a random free kick, sort of in a different part of the pitch, you're thinking, fair enough, the referee might have got it ever so slightly wrong. I didn't think it was like an awful decision by any means. Uh, I, I, To be honest, it's one of those I'd be like, even if it was right in the middle of the pitch, I'd be like, how? Like, I don't know. The, ref, the referee just wasn't in control and I thought that was quite obvious, but obviously that's leading to the goal and then you have basically Ming's angles and I think the other one that uh, whenever you watch the highlights was uh, Maddie Target just ball watching basically um, it just kind of seemed like we were scrambled and that kind of caused us a lot of issues and of course then you have our old target Webster scoring so that hurts too <laughs> it was going to be either him or Mopi though wasn't it well it was he, be actually Mopi almost tapped it in really he was maybe like half a foot away from just heading that in and making sure it went in. So it's one of those things essentially where we just turned off and we kind of essentially, we just kind of let a poor situation that didn't go our way kind of get to us. And that, that was proven by the I first goal. That part of the game, it was scary in the stands because you're just watching this team like win everything. They're winning every ball. That high line is absorbing any pressure. When we kick it over the top, Wes just doesn't know what to do with it. It's like as soon as he receives the ball, it's almost like he's he lags out, like he's playing FIFA and he lags out and everything changes around him by the time he realizes what he can do. When we was clear, we didn't even clear the ball. There was a good period of about you know five to ten minutes where we couldn't even clear our lines uh, without you know re- relieving any pressure. It was it was really scary. Brighton score, and I think what really relieves the pressure on Aston Villa here is he's a red card for Aaron Moy yeah and I think up to that though like you know before before we move on to that sending off right give Brighton some credit they were playing some really good football I think uh we, we have to give them that I thought Connolly and Mulpey were doing so well to just get ahead of our defense and they, they were just they were really scaring us at times they really were Pascal Gross on that right hand side as well was I think the duel that he had with Matty Target was um was brilliant but I think especially in the first half so uh yeah leading up to that sending off James I just want to give them some credit yeah Cole I, I'm, I think I'm all about giving them the credit because you know it looked like we were playing peak peak Barcelona at times we couldn't take the ball off them and they were creating chances at will well it's kind of funny how the game went because the first two uh, passages of play were super back and forth and then they just virtually dominated until that uh second yellow came for the red for Moy but <sighs> When you look at it, though, like I'm actually shocked how much Brighton charged forward and how much pace they had moving forward. I always kind of considered them, especially under Hewton, a very slow and not really tactically gifted team. And they were going forward at will. And even after the sending off, they still stuck to their game. And you have to give them massive credit for that. Big plaudits to Graham Potter here. I think he really showed what his Brighton team were about and what his philosophy is about. Because that Brighton team, they were playing some special stuff in that first half up and up until the sending off. But after the sending off, he was able to kind of adjust his team, and they they succeeded for the most part in containing us and uh, creating those little patient direct chances whenever they got a chance. But this red card, guys, Aaron Moy, stupid, two stupid yellows. The first one, that like the dumbest yellow, the easiest yellow you can pick up is when you piss around with an opponent's free kick. And that's a straight yellow. It's a dumb yellow. It's a soft yellow, but it's a yellow. The second dumbest yellow you can pick up is when you go, you go in from behind. 
you go to ground in front behind him, no chance of winning the ball. He'd done that in the space of maybe six minutes. So you're gone. Goodbye. You've, you've ruined your team's chance. And I think it was deserved. Why was he so frustrated? That's what I don't get. Like they were in control, Brighton. They were in brilliant control. And Aaron Moy seen as a seen as a big leader on the pitch as well. So I think from a Brighton fan's perspective, you've got to be incredibly disappointed with him. And also I said this on Twitter as well, Cole, but like for some reason or another, it seems like for some players they'd rather get sent off than than let Jack Grealish get past them. Isn't that weird? Like, wouldn't you rather stay on the pitch and help your teammates? It's kind of selfish. And like the thing that really annoyed me about that as well is you had the commentators who, for this game, drove me absolutely insane, saying, oh, well, he kind of pulled out. It doesn't matter if you pulled out. You still clattered him. Like, you still did it. That's like someone <laughs> killing someone and hiding the body and go, oh, I didn't hide it well enough. <laughs> like, it's just, oh, my God. I, I I love the excuses people come up with. Uh, but anyway, silly challenge by him. Well-deserved. And you know what? If that would have happened to us, we'd probably feel a little hard done by, but then you'd have the Brighton fans feeling the exact same way. So it is what it is. Two soft yellows is still a red card. So regardless of how anyone feels, it's a Yeah, and it's refreshing as well because you get you get a lot of referees these days who kind of go, listen, mate, I would have booked you, but, you know, you're already on a yellow. Just just calm down, mate. That's, <laughs> that's what you get a lot of these days, especially, um, especially when you get... Uh, I mean, we've seen it a lot of, as Villa fans, right? This is not this is not us crying right now, by the way. This isn't me crying about it, but we get a lot of fouls drawn against us, basically. Like Jack Jack Grealish is very, very good at drawing fouls. And and it happens in a lot of games where he just keeps getting chopped, keeps, you know, having contact made with him, deliberate contact as well. And and players just seem to be immune to yellow cards sometimes. And that's not me calling the referees biased. It's just I think it's the way things are, aren't they? You don't always give the give the second yellow straight away. You you were hit the nail on the head there by the referee saying, you know, I'm I'm giving you time to call off that the first yellow, it's a, it's a caution. The yellow card is also called a caution. It's a warning. It's don't do that again. If you do it again, you'll get sent off. And that that precise situation happened to Aaron Moy. But what I'm also thinking about this Jack Grealish thing is that players probably see him as a challenge because he does go through so many players and he does get fouled a lot. There's players out there like Aaron Moy who do want to show what they're made of. They, they want to take that step to become elite. And, you know, you do that by taking down the, the players that everyone's talking about, players like Jack Grealish, who always seem to get, like, quote-unquote, get away with things. Clearly, uh, he wasn't able to do that because he chopped Grealish down. But again, you see it a lot. Grealish is a challenge for people. They want to win the ball from him, Cole. Yeah, it's just, basically, like, he gets fouled so much for a simple reason. That's because he's so neat and tidy with the ball and he can keep it so close to him at all times. And when it comes to that, it's so easy for someone to put their body forward and you're going to take them down. I'm surprised to see that by Moy because if you look at it, especially last year, he was virtually the face of Huddersfield. Uh, you'd think, especially after going down, you want to keep Brighton up and stay at that level because... I think most teams in the bottom half, even mid-table, would take him if they could. Um, surprised by that, but with Grealish, I, I think we all have to agree, guys. He ran the show yesterday. Absolutely. I think he was uh, he was incredible. Like The the way he runs with the ball, it's like gliding. He can just cut through. He can do whatever he wants almost. And, then, you know, it was a uh, credit to him that Brighton had to sit back with a back six almost at times because he, he was like a vacuum sucking his ball in and going wherever he wanted with it. And... That's how we got the goals that, that we got. We got two goals, two legit goals. We scored three, of course, on the day. But Grealish was involved in all of them. The first one he got, he started the move and ended up tapping it in. The second one we got it was through his determination. So all credit to him. And I think he'll get a lot of talk in the match ball section later on. But guys, that red card changed the game. It gave the game to Aston Villa after Brighton were looking really good. Then Aston Villa scored a goal and it was struck off. Connor Horahan does what Connor Horahan does. And he shoots from outside of the box and buries it. He rams the ball into the net. It's a goal. Fist pumping. The whole end rises for him. A minute later, it's struck off and nobody in the stadium. Again, we've talked about this two home games in a row now, guys. Nobody knows why this was struck off. And I mean, if you've got the benefit of being able to watch it from home with announcers, whether they're biased or not, you know that it was struck off because Wesley brushed the goalkeeper. How how is that a foul? Like I understand you want to protect your keepers, but like I don't know how many times that I could slow that down and watch it in slow motion. 
I said this before we even started recording today, James. Matt Ryan is a good shot stopper, solid. His handling, his distribution is probably one of the worst statistically in the league. Um, I don't know how many times yesterday there were catchable balls and he just parried them away. He's not a keeper that seems really comfortable with handling the ball, so he was probably going to punch it away anyways. It kind of seemed like he was leaning on Wesley when they are both jumping regardless, so... To say it was his arm or something like that that truly affected him, like, come on, you had enough time for the ball to then go back out wide. I think it was to McGinn, McGinn to pass it to Hurahan, and for him to roof a right past you. Like, you had so much more time to get set back in a position. Danny, what's your thoughts? I'm going to ask the question, but is the striker allowed to allowed to kind of touch the keeper like that? I mean, Wesley's going to... Did he really touch him, though? Well, he, he does. He does touch him. I mean, he, he brushes his face and Wesley kind of... But the thing is, he's he's almost jumping out of it as well, Wesley, as as if to say, oh, hang on a second. I shouldn't be... I shouldn't be here. I, look, I think it's harsh. I think it's harsh. I think, you know, without VAR, that's given and it's just not sort of considered kind of thing. But again, it's this... You have to draw this out again where, like, the goal is disallowed because of a foul that happened sort of ten, five or ten seconds ago. I don't know. I think I understand the point that he's touching the goalkeeper, but is that touch a foul? That's my point. I, I really don't think it is because Matt Ryan is hardly bothered by it. No, he's not. Like, he's not really put off by it. I think if Wes was more forceful, it'd be a foul. The same, exact same scenario, if he was a, leaned a bit more into it, it'd be a foul, but I don't think he disrupts it and it's such a you know in terms of footballing events there's three or four things that happen between that and the goal it's completely removed from the goal this is like if he was giving you know rolling out a counter-attack because the ball went out you know 30 seconds ago and no one noticed it. in terms of footballing events this is pretty far removed from the actual goal even though it was a few only a few seconds because so much happened between that and the goal so i really question why because they, they forced themselves into that situation, didn't it? Mm. It was a subjective decision because we are here saying it's not clear. He touched him. Was it a foul? That's subjective. It's not a clear and obvious error. So, Cole, it comes down to this error then when a ref of VAR has been enforced and used for whatever reason. I just feel like referees on the pitch, like they're just not confident anymore. Like it's clear they're second guessing everything. They literally. As soon as they even have to think about something, they do the little special square thing, which I'm so glad I eventually knew what that was. Because the first time I saw that live at a Toronto FC game, I was thinking, is this referee like smoking something or I don't know. But anyways, um, it just they just don't seem assured. And as a peripheral figure and the one that you're supposed to be managing how things are going on the field, you have to be more assured. And this is just taking it away from them. I know we have to be. You know, I kind of want to toe the line here. I don't particularly like referees and what they do, but no one knows who is in charge anymore because it looks like VAR over, VAR overall that goal it came in. It communicated with the ref goal and it said that's not a goal. Everyone in the stadium was in utter disbelief. And it feels like, mm. Danny, that when Aston Villa win games, they have to not only beat the other team, but beat VAR. It does feel like it. It does feel like it, but you know, a lot of teams have, a lot of teams have uh, have had a go at VAR. A lot of teams think it goes against them. Um, for example, sort of, if if you hang around, if you hang around the the bigger teams areas on Twitter, Man City fans, for example, seem to absolutely loathe VAR. Um, Liverpool seem to get a lot of VAR decisions, but then they had one go against them today against Manchester United. I want to be careful about how we approach this from a fan's perspective, but uh, what I will say is it feels very weird that every time we score a goal, I cannot celebrate straight away. Because, you know what, I, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I genuinely, at the end of half time, I thought we were a goal up. And we weren't. Uh, I, I had no clue whatsoever that that goal was disallowed. I want to put that one out there. But yeah, you just you just don't know whether or not to celebrate. And it just kind of just takes takes the essence of football away slightly. Yeah, I think, I don't know how it is for the fan watching at home, but in the stadium, it's a bad experience. No one knows what's going on. No one knows when VAR is actioned or not. Um, there was a moment in the game when McGinn appealed for handball and it said VAR check and it was a handball and nothing was done about it. Whereas McGinn was tackled in the box and nothing was done about it. You don't know when VAR is actually, you don't. there's no commun- proper communication 
and that's the the big worry is it benefits who does it really benefit does it, does it even support the referees that much or is it an obstructing tool in, the, in their duties it's an interesting question i think it depends on the decision doesn't it i think it's always going to support the referee in general i don't think referees are going to be that sort of bothered if their decision is overturned because at the end of the day their eyes aren't better than a computer's you know um Referees get things wrong. They're human. It is what it is. But you know what? I, I want to. I, I do want to thank VAR for one thing, and that is probably my favorite Premier League moment of the weekend. Where uh, I I don't know if you guys saw the Spurs versus Southampton game. Oh yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> Spurs sort of score in the last minute. The VAR uh, basically the goal. The goal goes in. Um, the referee goes to VAR to to get it checked. The referee allows the goal, but the big like screen in the stadium. Says no goal. <laughs> <laughs> so the goal's allowed. <laughs> but everybody else in the stadium is thinking, wait, hang on a second. But then you, you only realize that it's a goal once you see the ball kind of get kicked off in the kickoff line. Um, and Hawkeye, who I think produced that stuff, basically ended up having to send out an apology. It was pretty funny. So this was Tottenham versus Watford uh, yesterday. Was this, wasn't it Tottenham versus Southampton? Watford, yeah. Watford, sorry, yeah, it was Watford. Yeah, sorry, yeah. But that that's an insane scenario, and this is what you get with VAR. Maybe we should be equipping our referee with more tools to, you know, enforce the game, like they do in the Bundesliga, where the referee can go over to the screen and, and actually have a look. You know, in the Premier League, it's a guy just telling them something and then going, yeah, it's not a goal. And he's like, why? Because like, this happened. He's like, oh, you don't, there's no second, there's no proper second opinion for the referee comes from another referee. So it's just adding another layer of subjectivity to the proceedings. But guys, I want to move on from VAR because Villa did some good stuff yesterday. And one of the best moves they did resulted in the goal. It was Jack Grealish's first Premier League goal at Villa Park for Aston Villa. He starts a move. He flicks it out to Wes, um, big Wesley. He does his little stutter step movement where he's kind of looking for someone to help him out. He passes it to Will Bear. Will Bear whips it in. And it hits Grealish and goes in, let's be honest. Um, there's not much of a finish there. It bobbles across the line. Who cares? It's a goal. And it's uh, justice for Aston Villa, who five minutes ago had a goal ruled out. But Cole, how good was it to see Jack Grealish score against uh, Brighton after that preview? Well, our, our dear friend uh, Albion Roar said he didn't rate Jack Grealish. I'm not calling him out, but he clearly <laughs> said that. He's very confident in that. Um, well, I think things were proven differently on the day yesterday because... It's surprisingly because when he did score, I think if he didn't score, we went into halftime one down. I think the atmosphere and James, you could speak to this probably would have been a million times different. And with that being said, that's two games in a row where Jack Realish just scored. We'd, he's becoming the player we all hoped he would. And we already knew how great he was before, but he's just getting better and better. And Oh, I'm. I just love the man. Call my man crush. I'll have a million man crushes by the end of the season. But yeah, James, <laughs> I want to know though from you if that if that goal didn't go in, how do you think the atmosphere would have been? It was pretty fractious and anxious for you know the entire game because as soon as the guy goes off, as soon as Moy gets sent off because of the red card, you automatically assume oh that's Villa winning then. And when they don't, when it looks like they're not going to, or things happen that prevent them from winning, It's you get nervous, you get scared, and you, you second-guess the ability of these players. You know, I heard pre- a lot of comments about Grealish and McGinn that I can't repeat on here, and these are clearly two of our better players who we trust in at all times to win us a match, and they did. They did. They, they won us the match, especially Grealish won us the match, but you have the fans who get so emotionally charged, and God bless them, but uh, there was a lot of doubt in that stadium for a long time, and man, that last-minute goal, it was such a relief. There was a lot of people screaming who I've never heard make a sound during a game. It got to us all. But Jack Grealish was so good, Cole. And I, I hope the world knows that now. I hope Brighton fans realise that. I hope that, I hope many fans, many neutral fans, not like we should care about their opinions because they don't watch a player. But they're starting to realise what we have done. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think what's what's been nice to hear is from a lot of people uh, is that they actually do rate Aston Villa. I think we, we seem to be quite a popular team amongst neutrals. Um, which wasn't the case in the championship, <laughs> funnily enough. Um, but like, yeah, I think <laughs> I think it's good to see the teams are genuinely worried about playing us because I miss the days of that man. Like, there there was time where we were easy pickings, we were an easy point or two, and and right now we're we're starting to look like we could spring a surprise on teams. Like we're we're young and hungry, and I think 
with, with, with a team full of players like Jack Grealish, like John McGinn, you know that, you know, there's going to be effort put onto that pitch. And yeah. Um, uh, so far, I can't, I'm yet to remember the last time we, we genuinely played badly. We've, we've had bad results happen in the last couple of months, but I'm yet to remember a time where we, where we played badly. So um, opposition fans, yeah, I can understand why they started to get worried about playing against us. It's a good place to be in. I think Aston Villa have progressed quite well. There's plenty of nerves, but look, this game was not a normal game, Cole. This was a game where a player got sent off for a good performing team. That team had to change how they were set up, um, thus being a lot harder to break down. Aston, it put Aston Villa right off. Their temper was all over the place, but they persevered and won the game for a, a really good created chance from Matt Target and Jack Grealish. Um, I just want to know your thoughts on the period in between the first and second goal, because it didn't look like Villa were going anywhere. And actually, Brighton probably had a really good chance to score through Maupai and Montoya. Montoya's shot was saved and Maupai missed from pretty much point-blank range. But the fear was there, mate. Honestly, we should have lost. Like, it was bad. Like, I don't think we even tested Ryan for, was it like almost half an hour? Like, we we have the man advantage and we're doing absolutely nothing. And Brighton are just cutting... Like I. I understand with this formation and the way Dean Smith plays, it's very forward and attacking minded. So you're going to have to accept that you're going to have gaps and you're going to have to defend well. And to be honest, we, we weren't defending well and we were pretty fortunate. I can't remember the one instance, um, but the kind of, uh, I think it was Mopai that got through a few defenders and uh, Mings had to clean it up at the last second out for a throw in on the left-hand side. And I think that would just kind of summarize how the second half was. It wasn't until, you'd have to say maybe like the 87th minute that they finally kind of conceded and let us have the ball and they just seemed too tired and maybe it was just tired legs that won it for us. I'm not trying to be negative here, but from my perspective, that's how it kind of seemed. Again, I go back to the anxiety we all felt and I think that was a big part of it was seeing Brighton still come forward with such, you know, free-flowing intent and manufacture Mm. these chances even though their pace had dropped off. And when Villa won the ball, it was... Who do we pass it to? Where do we go? Uh, do we give it to Grealish? Um, players are standing still now because the movie's dead in the water. Now we have to kick it to Keenan Davis and hope he can manufacture something. Um, the tactical game plan, in, I think that paid off because we made good chances. You know, Al Ghazi missed a point blank volley. Um, Harahan had a good chance saved. You know, we aren't talking about this if those go in and those are good chances that the tactics made. It's just the finishing. Again, the execution, Danny. Yeah, man. Al Ghazi's was bad. Algarzi's was was really bad. Like all he really needs to do is tap that. But like I, for whatever reason, his instinct was to sky it over the keeper, which was the total opposite of what. I mean, if he had done literally anything else, it would have been fine. I mean, if he if he, if he if he touches it and it comes off the keeper, all right, fine, you tested him. But he's literally just gone. You know what? Keeper's in front of me, so uh, I've got to I've got to get it away from him somehow. And it was that was bad. I mean, Douglas Louise's chance as well. That was that was pretty good. I know that was from distance, but you you kind of trust him from that kind of range. Uh, and he was very very close to scoring. Uh, and I thought, you know, you're right. We we did create some good chances, but it almost seems with 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 Wesley as well. Sometimes it's one game in, one game out. Yeah, I think I forgive him because of the goals he scored. It's just I think we have to now take it into account when we talk about Wesley that there's going to be a good game, a decent game, a bad game, a great game, a good game, a decent. It's it's going to be you know in complete flux, and I think that is par for the course for most strikers in the, the you know the bottom ten of the Premier League. It's not going to be every game is a uh, a, sh- a showcase of force and skill. But Cole, uh, I don't know where the goal was going to come from, and it did come through from Matt Target. That left flank attack, it almost buried the ball into a Brighton defender on every cutback. Um, Jack Grealish rode another challenge. He, he drives forward into the box, you know, with pleasure almost. He knows what's going to happen. He slides it through to Target. And on my God, I thought Target was going to cut it back a- again to no one in the middle. He wasn't looking up, but no, he buries it and... <laughs> You know, my screams were big. I was screaming. How are you feeling then? Because, I mean, there must have been something in the back of your mind saying the VAR check is coming. Well, let me set the scene for you. It's a it's a nice uh, Saturday morning here in Canada. Um, I'm laying on my bed oh, with a uh, blanket over me watching. And the closer it gets to goal, I'm starting to sit up. I'm starting to sit up. I'm starting to sit up. 
And as soon as it goes in, I jump off my bed, basically almost face plant on the floor because I forgot how high my bed is and uh, just ran around my room and then sat back down. Um, <laughs> that's how sad I am, apparently. But no, it's uh, it was <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I don't know why I even said that. I just set myself up for something. Dude, why were you, why were you in bed? Dude? It was like, you could keep in mind, the game was on from like 10 to noon. So I was having a nice, relaxing morning. Oh, dude, that's not this. What? That's no time to be in bed. I had people make me breakfast in the morning. I felt a little sleepy. Uh, it was it was a great. I had my. <laughs> Who's making you breakfast at at, at ten well, to okay, twelve? Okay, it was in like nine thirty. I was at my girlfriend's house, and her mom made me breakfast. So I had lots of bacon. I had lots of eggs. I was fired oh, up for this Lord. game. We're getting away from the point here. <laughs> <laughs> I just have a lot of questions. Sorry, I I shouldn't question your lifestyle choices, man. You you, you know, do you? you do bacon you. on your feet. Uh, no. <laughs> um, so, no, it was it was ecstatic, and in my opinion, that goal saved Target's performance because if I was going to go through each individual player, in my opinion, he probably would have been in the bottom probably three of like poorest performances yesterday. Really? Yeah. Oh, the amount of times he gave away the ball, or it just kind of it wasn't his game. I just there's so many instances where I thought he could have done better, and I'm not. It's not a Taylor versus um target thing it, it's just i didn't think he had a good game and that goal saved him i i quite like the way that he was uh overlapping with Grealish. yeah i mean that's one thing that i have to say that uh, that is, is really big i think with with Grealish having to come into the wing i think it was really important that the that the target sort of replaced taylor just for the fact that we needed some sort of strength on that left uh, on that left hand side some sort of width on that left hand side um and i thought that target found himself in midfield positions quite often during the game and i thought that was really really helpful because you know at least with him that he can whip something in if he um if he gets in a decent position and i almost felt bad for almost felt felt bad for taylor as well when when target scored that goal because uh, he's been trying for a long time hasn't he to get his to get his villa goal neil taylor uh but target just somehow finding himself in the box in the 95th minute um, and, and just doing something that almost seems so casual as a fullback. I just thought it was, it was just great work. And I thought uh, that shows you again why he uh, why he commands that transfer fee. Yeah, his attacking intent, Cole, is probably something I enjoy the most about him. And that probably leans into the defensive vulnerability. We've got a player who's essentially a winger like Will Bear running back and forth, I guess. Um, I don't think he had the best game yesterday. We were quite open. You know, when we were looking for intent down the wing, it wasn't really there. There wasn't much combination with Trezeguet either. I think he was completely separate from uh, the, the the other 10 players on the pitch. So, yeah, I think I, I know where you're coming from with, with Matt Target. I don't think it's necessarily a major criticism or a, uh, a left-back controversy in terms of uh, the fight between him and uh, him and Taylor. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm happy with him. He gets a goal. Maybe there's some little things you can iron out. Yeah, I mean, you know what you're getting with him because if you're going to play Taylor, you know, he's probably going to be better defensively than Target is, but then Target brings a whole offensive element that Taylor can't. And we, I love Neil Taylor, but we all know if that was him, he's probably somehow going to hit it off the post. It's going to go off the keeper and then just bounce out or something, knowing his luck on goal. So, yeah, you know what you're getting from him. So, uh, I'm glad he got the goal. That's great for his confidence. And I feel bad for Taylor because good luck getting back in the team right now. <laughs> yeah, it's probably going to take an injury because we have a balanced side. Will Bear and Target are pretty similar in their, their playing styles. They like to drive forward. They like to overlap. They like to, the, the, the direct cross. And I think Neil Taylor is a more possession-based player. And he's certainly a lot more defensive than Target, which uh, probably makes it for Target going forward so often. But guys, I'm going to need some match balls. We talked at length about this match now. Um, Cole, I'm pretty sure your match ball won't be um, Matt Target, but you can't <laughs> call bacon and eggs made by your girlfriend's mom um, as your match ball. You're going to need to pick a player on this occasion. So uh, who's your choice? Well, the great thing about mentioning that is my girlfriend listens to this. I'm sure she's her mom. So thank <laughs> you for the breakfast the other day. It was fantastic. Um, Jack Grealish. I mean, I feel like it might, that actually might be unanimous. It might be surprised here, but he ran the show. He carried us through passages of play where honestly we didn't even deserve to be in. And yeah, as simple as that, he was my man of the match. Dan, before you jump in, I'm going to have to give my match ball to Tom Heaton because I think he did 
the steady thing of keeping Villa alive. Um, there was close cut chances. Montoya shot right at him. He made it look easy, but these are the type of chances that Villa can see. They conceded them last year when Nyland was in goal, when Jed Steele was in goal. The easy shots they allow, they usually concede, and Tom Heaton wasn't laying anything past him yesterday, apart from the, the one shot he had no chance of saving. You like giving match balls to keepers, don't you, James? I don't think I do. I think I'll, I'm going to interfere here. I'm going to you know, pass this to Trevor Hood. Trevor, can you update us with the match ball situation? If you've been recording it, of course, I wouldn't like you to go back through every single episode so far and record the match balls, but uh, we need the stats here. I don't think I have. Okay. All right. I'd be, I'd be interested to know. Um, I'm, call, also, I'm calling you out. I'm calling well, you out here. That's, that's incredible, by the way, that you'd give Trevor Hood that kind of statistical work to do. But, um, all right, man, if you can't be bothered to do it yourself, <laughs> like, I guess that's I guess that's one for Trevor. Well, guys, guess who got the game prediction right yesterday? This guy right here. Give oh. me some credit. I just I looked Wait, at who? that right now. I completely forgot. <laughs> give me give me the credit. I want it. I'm taking it. That's two this season. I I knew this happened. So I know this happened because I know one of us picked two one. Well, I know it wasn't me. So when I saw the scoreline, <laughs> I was like, yeah. someone got pick, it right. James? I picked three two. I mean, it wasn't far off. It was closer than what I got. What did you pick? I got 2 0. Yeah, his was out the window right away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when we started that match with Brighton's intent, that was not happening, mate. So, uh, in terms of that, who is, who is your match ball? Mine's Jack Grealish. I, like, wow. he, hasn't, he hasn't been given one yet. He's, he, was, he ran the game. He absolutely ran the game for us. I think uh, from start to finish, he was the constant. And uh, I think even again, when we were sort of playing quite poorly in the first half what i what i'm impressed with by jack Grealish every single game is just the amount of running he's doing like he was playing on the left wing but the amount of times i saw him come back deep and and, and pick the ball up defensively and dribble that ball out of defense when when brighton were putting pressure on us i mean that first of all is, is fantastic in its own right but uh to then score and, and get the assist as well later on uh fair play to jack Grealish. he was absolutely the standout guy did you say he didn't have one, a match ball? Oh, wait, did... Uh... Cole's oh, just given him one? I thought Cole gave it to Do Matty I not? Target. Why, Why am I going to give it to Matty Target? <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> All right, did you just fine. disappear? Like, did you just... No, I didn't go... disappear. I genuinely, I genuinely felt like I, I, I heard Matty Target, and I, um, I apologise, Cole. I probably zoned out. You definitely did, because <laughs> one thing we did say was that he definitely wasn't giving it to Matty Target. <laughs> That's probably what confused me. I, I, probably, I, I think I heard I'm definitely giving it to Matty Target. And I, that, I mean, that was, first of all, confusing to me, but there we go. Let's move on. We've got a terrifying matchup uh, just in time for Halloween, actually. We'll be taking on uh, Manchester City in our third green kit on the 26th of October. This is a tough one. Uh, Manchester City, probably the most vulnerable they've been in a number of years, but still uh, pretty much far beyond what we could expect for a win. It's going to be a tough game, and I hope, Cole, that we are more Norwich than Watford, and I hope we can get a win rather than an 8-0 hammering. Well, the thing I don't think that does us any well is that uh, Manchester City didn't play with actual centre-backs yesterday, and they still won 2-0, so... (laughs) (laughs) Um... They're just so stacked. It was That was like a FIFA team, by the way. It's crazy. It was, was really, really weird. Like, they, honestly, they could have two teams, and they'd probably be both in the top, like, eight. They're just that good. Arguably, probably the greatest assembled squad ever could be. But, yeah, they really haven't done too, too much beside winning the league. But uh, in the odd Capital One Cup here and there. But, uh, yeah, I'm saying that. I would love a Capital One Cup, to be honest. But... Um, <laughs> it's going to be tough and we, we know and I hope Dean Smith knows we cannot play that way against Manchester City because it's going to be like a historical scoreline here if we play the way we did against Brighton Dan how do you beat Manchester City because <laughs> do you sit back and let them just do whatever they want or do you attack and leave the space where, where do you where do you win nah you attack man it's the only thing you can do genuinely try and get them on the back foot um I I know that that's better. That's easier said than done, but you just don't know what uh what he's going to try and pull. Basically, um, Pep Guardiola. That's the first thing. I think we're going to be so so reliant on on Mings and Engels because the the thing that Man City have is Aguero and Sterling, 
who are just do you know what they can get they can escape defenders like so well i mean we were talking like prison break, prison break levels of like um of of, of escaping defenders man like uh, i think um aguero and sterling have probably been two of the best players in the entire league this season and i, I genuinely think that their attack scares me more at the moment than liverpool's do uh, than liverpool's does uh, where man city have been going wrong is the defense and uh, i think if they start lining up again with Fernandinho, Mendy and Cancelo, I think it was as a back three, then we've got a real chance. Um, what I wonder about is whether Wesley's going to be able to turn up against a big side like that. I don't know if he's been able to do that yet. It's almost like a free hit, I feel. I think we have absolutely nothing to lose. There's two matches, Manchester City and Liverpool, the two, you know, real defining teams of this Premier League era, the two almost untouchable teams, even though I think uh, Liverpool are losing right now. But they're still, you know, style speaks for themselves. These teams hammer other teams on a regular basis and were pretty much the only teams in contention for the title last season. Might be the same situation this season. Free hit, I think we have to attack and I would expect a heavy loss. Um, But, you know, if you're attacking, the chance there is that you can surprise them and spring a win, but then yeah. the risk is that you get battered. Goal. Yeah, but I, I think the the, main, the good thing to point out here is that, and it was evident yesterday, especially when um, our old man Benteke came on, is they really don't like physicality. Like they really struggle with that, especially uh, airily, because as soon as Benteke came on, he almost scored, and without, uh, oh my god, I'm forgetting um, their keeper's name there, Ederson. Uh, without his. Yeah, without his fantastic effort to save that, that's a goal and it's 2-1 and you don't know essentially what's going to happen because they just, I, I, it's kind of hard to read into because you're playing with uh, two central midfielders so as center backs. So uh, it kind of doesn't do well for our confidence. And you know what, it probably, funnily enough, it doesn't do well for John Stone's confidence because he was on the bench yesterday and still doesn't get picked. So <laughs> you need, you need Mings to turn up, don't you? And you need, I, I, and you need Nakamba to turn up as well. And I think Hurahan too, I think with if if he can sort of tap into the aggressive games that he's had in the past, I think that could really help. But I think one thing's for certain, our midfielders are going to have to run like crazy. They're going to have to run like crazy and it's going to be all down to energy levels. And the other thing you've got to hope for with Man City and like this is, again, this is where it comes down to uh, Premier League levels and the difference between this and Championship. Quite literally, you're just going to have to hope that they have an off day. Really, uh, I really do feel that way. I mean, that's not a bad thing to hope for. I think, I mean, people will be listening to this saying, oh, you've got to have faith in this Villa team. You've got to do this and that. But this is coming up against like the God tier team of the Premier League. This is the team that will spend more hours than anyone else preparing for this match. They will spend more minutes on the pitch. They'll be well drilled. They have elite level players who are, you know, realms above what we could wish for, even though we have fantastic quality. And, you know, I trust in Mings, McGinn, Engels, Heat and Grealish. And even Wesley, I trust trust in them to do their job. But these are the, you're playing against the cream of the crop. And that's no slight on our players or our manager or our team. This is the best, you know, the best team in the league. Bar Liverpool, they're they're both up there for that same question. It's going to be a tough match. I think really have to hope for a, a lot of luck here. Like Norwich. Norwich got, you know, the look of the draw. They managed to catch out Otamendi, score a stunning goal and really put that team on the back foot and shake their confidence. They came out in the next game, hammered Watford 8-0. So we're on the precipice here. I think we're more similar to Norwich than Watford. Let's see what we can do, Cole. Yeah. yeah. I'm just scared. <laughs> I still have the the Chelsea, that Chelsea score line from way back in my head. And we just we have to play with confidence. We have to make sure we're assured at the back. People just have to do their jobs. And I wouldn't honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if you do actually see. And I think about it, Neil Taylor in this because I wonder if he's going to go a little bit more defensive in certain areas. And, and the thing I want to know from you guys, I think maybe might be the hottest talking point in, in terms of the starting lineup uh, for the weekend for that weekend would be who would you rather have out there to start, Trezeguet or Algazi? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for Algarzi because Trezeguet. Algarzi's inconsistent. He's there, you know. He floats around. He doesn't seem, you know, 100 percent sometimes, and then he'll pull off some amazing stuff. But Trezeguet, yeah, I agree, man. Last match, well out yeah. of it, wasn't with it at all. And that's a slight on him. I think he needs to get up to speed, but he's not going to get the minutes in this team with Grealish out left because Algarzi is probably the better choice sometimes. Trezeguet's got a role, but I don't think it's starting right now. I think he may emerge as a starter 
right now, I don't think we give him the minutes against City unless you pan around that, bring Grealish back into the middle and pull him out left. Unless he's starting opposite Al Ghazi, he's not starting at all. Uh, he's not ready to start, I don't think. Trezeguet, certainly not against Manchester City. He just seemed sort of out of it. As I mean, as you say, it almost seemed like he just wasn't able to get on the ball much um, in this game. Uh, and and I think that, yeah, for me, it's El Ghazi. I know we talk a lot about El Ghazi and we talk about how he, um, you know, uh, how he performs in some games and in others, he, he's, he's not he's not quite as consistent. But if you're going to tell me that the guy with, I mean, a guy with El Ghazi's passion isn't going to be up for Man City, then I'm going to tell you that I think you're wrong. Uh, El Ghazi absolutely will pull out his best, um, his, his best effort for, for a game like this. He knows it's going to get him noticed, and he's a guy that uh, that, that he, he plays with confidence. He's a confidence player. I think I think it's got to be him. It's got to be him. Well, I think it's time for a prediction. Then uh, I'm going to go with a bold one. I'm going to go for a loss, <laughs> an Aston Villa loss, and I'm going to say <laughs> it's four two to Manchester City. And I think there's no shame in that. I think I'd, I'd happily take that. See, I actually don't mind that scoreline because that would oh. actually put our goal difference back at zero. And I just, I'm kind of crazy with the whole goal difference thing because you never know, um, especially in our situation. Um, Danny, you know what? You go ahead. I need to think about this for a second. <laughs> God, man, this is like genuinely, this is like uh, past the hot potato one, whatever this is. Uh, I'm going to go with a 3-1 defeat. To Man City, yeah, I don't think we're going to get battered. I don't think I don't think we're going to get battered. I think I think the defense. Three oh, one is a battering. No, it isn't. Three one is a pretty. It's it, three goals in win pro evolution soccer. You know, pro evolution. What the one with the bald ref on the front? <laughs> what if you if you were three if you were three goals down in that the commentator would say game over. Well, it depends it depends how early on in the match that is. I think. Oh, and I'm saying three uh, one. <laughs> when I'm saying three one, I'm saying. Um, We'll we'll hold on, right? It might be one 0 to Man City. Maybe we'll grab a goal back. It'll be one one until sort of the eightieth minute, and then lo and behold, Raheem Sterling somehow managed to get a, get at the end of a cross that comes out of nowhere, sticks his foot out, slides across the um, slides across the box, and then at some point or another, when we're trying to score uh, the equaliser, I don't know, Aguero pops up. Maybe it's John Stones. <laughs> maybe maybe it, it's Edison. All I know is that. We're not gonna. If we if we lose, I don't think we're gonna get bad, but we're probably gonna lose <laughs> because it's Manchester City. Cole, to finish the podcast, you've had enough time to think now. Where's your what's your prediction? And and make sure it's as detailed as my prediction. Okay. Well, the thing I was just about to say is that there's two perspectives on this. The first was that I was gonna say Liverpool we're gonna lose. But now they're actually drawing because Lolana scored in the 85th minute. So that's probably going to be a 1-1 draw. So uh, this is hard because City are also playing on Tuesday against Atalantis. And then Atalanta, not Atalantis. Wow, I should really clarify that before people think I'm talking about something. Uh, but um, <laughs> after that, then obviously our game's the first game on Saturday, the early game, if I'm correct. So if that's the case, they might have some tired legs in there. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be so bold, and I'm going to go for a 2-2 draw. But no, I think uh, it's a sound preview there. I think we'll wrap it up there. You can follow Cole at Talk Aston Villa. You can follow Danny at Raza Journo, and you can follow me at Jamie Russian, and we'll catch up after Villa, Villa hopefully don't embarrass themselves against Manchester City. Let's hope for the three points. Goodbye and up the Villa. <laughs>